Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dr. Luke. And in this podcast series, I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice, which I hope will be applicable to medical practices. In this episode, we're discussing with Professor Joseph Proietto, the subject of obesity, expanding our knowledge. Uh, Last week, Professor Joseph Proietto very generously joined us to tell us why we gain weight. In this episode, we'll be discussing management strategies. Now, to recap, 36% of Australians are overweight and 31% are obese as defined by a BMI of over 30. And the associated health consequences, which include the metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease, osteoarthritis and depression, which we all know about, highlight the need for effective management strategies and the attainment of a healthy BMI. How to get there? Well, recognition that genetic factors contribute up to 70% of the variance in body weight compared to only 30% from environmental factors, we can begin to understand that weight is strongly defended by our inherent neurobiology. And a long-term metabolic reset, which we need if we are to attain a healthy BMI, often requires the use of centrally acting inhibitors of appetite, that is drug therapy. The observation from a large number of dietary interventions which are aimed at being aimed at weight loss typically include a very satisfying early period of weight loss followed by a weight plateau and then a rather disappointingly progressive regain. This is a very uh, common observation across many meta-analyses of weight loss uh, programs using diet. And this reflects a pattern that is ultimately slave to genetic and epigenetic factors controlled by neurohormonal signaling through the hypothalamus and coupled with a development of resistance to the adipocyte-producing satiety hormone, which is called leptin. And probably this biologically defended higher body weight or set point that we ultimately return to is aided by exposure to an obesogenic Western diet. However, understanding this underlying driving pathophysiology is fundamental to determining appropriate treatment strategies for obesity. And it really is such a privilege and pleasure to be joined by a world expert today, and Professor Joseph Proietto, who's written very widely on the subject. Uh, Professor uh, Proieto is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Melbourne in the Department of Medicine, Austin Health, and an endocrinologist specialising in diabetes and obesity. And he established the first obesity clinic in Victoria at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, is now the head of weight control clinic at Austin Health. I pummel Joe uh, with questions today, so please enjoy this as he discusses very low energy diets and the use of centrally acting drug inhibitors of appetite, such as liraglutide, fentamine, and naltrexone buprone. I do hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, Professor Joe Proietta, thank you very much for joining me again to talk about obesity. And we had a very interesting discussion about why we get fat. That was a real eye-opener for me, really. Just thinking more about the genetic polymorphisms that drive obesity and the epigenetics of that. And um, that was a very interesting discussion. Uh, what I'd like to get to now, if it's okay, is to talk about it, the treatment approaches. And I know you've got some very effective uh, treatment strategies. Um, yes. Would it be okay for us to, to work our way through some of those? Can you take us uh, through this logically, your approach to obesity? Okay. So we need to start off by saying that stored fat is stored energy. Energy can't be created or destroyed. So if there's excess stored fat, it could only have got there because the intake of energy for a period of time was higher than the expenditure. Mm. Energy expenditure 
is largely metabolic rate, which doesn't vary up or down. Mm. And why not? It doesn't vary much because most of the basal metabolic rate is caused by the each of the 37 trillion cells that we're made up of generating energy to maintain the cell's integrity. Mm. And nature doesn't fiddle with metabolism. Metabolism predates bacteria. And because if a cell can't generate energy, it mm. doesn't exist. Mm. Okay? It's a sacrosanct. It's sacrosanct. And indeed, it's very interesting that when the body wants to modulate our energy expenditure up or down, it doesn't do it by changing metabolism. It does it by changing spontaneous activity, mm. shivering, shivering and whatever. Fidgeting. 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 Oh. So if you... If you, um, the only way to safely increase energy expenditure is to do exercise. And exercise does burn more energy while you're doing it. The problem is in our society, it's very hard to find the time to do enough to make a difference. Mm. Because if you walk around the park 30 minutes each day, you don't burn that much more energy. Do, do you have a rule of thumb on how much exercise you would have to do to, to make, make a difference? A difference. Mm. Well, at least one hour of jogging probably. Per? Per day. Per day, yes. So yeah. five to six hours a week. I would think so, yes. Mm. It, it's, mm. it's, uh, I've got, the, I've got the, um, the calculations in my book. But it's but a lot more than people would otherwise think. It, isn't it's it? a lot more yeah. than they think, yeah. yes. So, so First of all, to lose weight, you need to drop your intake yes. well below your expenditure. And when, what I do when I treat people is I, after I take the history and examine them and order their tests, etc., I generally work out their energy expenditure because, I don't know if you know, but years ago in England, they set up metabolic chambers. And the first experiment they did was to ask the question, is it true that people that have overweight have a low metabolism? And they found that no, people mm. who are heavy mm. actually burned more energy than people who are skinny. Mm. But when you corrected for weight, it was the same. Mm. And because of that, they were able to come up with equations that take in height, weight, age, and level of activity. And the so-called Harris-Benedict equations. Mm. So I have the uh, spreadsheet with the Harris-Benedict equation in it. Right. So I enter the patient's height, weight, and um, age and level of activity, and I get an answer. I sometimes have to modulate it because studies from America have shown that um, after you lose weight, your, your energy expenditure drops by about 300 calories, and that's mainly movement, mm. spontaneously mm. moving less. Yeah. So I, I deduct 300 calories from what the formula is telling me. Now, let's assume for argument's sake that the patient's significantly big and that their energy expenditure comes in at 2,800 calories per day. So I, I share that information with the patient. Your body is burning 2,800 calories a day. 
To lose weight, you need to take in less than you burn. In a study we did that we published in 2014, we randomised people to rapid or slow weight loss. Mm. The rapid weight loss had um, a, an intake of around 800 calories. The gradual weight loss had a um, we we worked out their intake and then reduced it by 600 calories, and and we found that it didn't make any difference to the regain. We followed these people for three years. They lost about 15% of their body weight. Then we, we, um, we followed them for three years and the, the both groups um, regained the weight the same. So after three years, they were just cut loose? Effectively, let's see what happens. Uh, yes, mm. that they were they'd regained about ninety percent of the weight, mm. but but the rapid and slow group regained the same same at the same rate. Right. However, we had a uh, eighteen people in the gradual group dropped out because they found it too hard, and only three dropped out in the in the more strict diet. And why was that? It was because our rapid diet was ketogenic. The, and the ketogenic diet effectively took away the hunger, suppressed the hunger. Correct. Mm. And ketones do take away hunger, and they do so two ways. The first way is by acting directly through to the, on the brain to suppress hunger. Now. The, um, so that's an action somewhere in the hypothalamus again, yes, pre presumably. Yes. Mm. And a group in America by Rossetti's group showed that they, that, um, they essentially work through the same mechanism by which glucose suppresses hunger. Now, glucose suppresses hunger very nicely. We don't normally notice that because its maximum effect is at normal glucose level. Mm. And so if we go from normal to above normal, we don't get any more suppression. But a person with diabetes, when their sugar is two, they get very hungry. Mm. Yes, yes, right? sure. So, mm. so, so what happens is ketones are metabolized to acetyl-CoA, mm. as is glucose, Acetyl-CoA then gets converted to melanyl-CoA and melanyl-CoA inhibits CPT1, which is the, the uh, transporter that transports fatty acid into the mitochondria. And so you get a buildup of fatty acid inside the cell and that's been shown to, to suppress hunger. Right, okay. So ketones tap into that pathway. And in addition, hmm. we showed that the ketones control the hunger hormones in the blood and in a direction to, to suppress hunger. So multiple different hormones. Yes. yes. Now, it makes no sense to develop ketosis by eating a high-fat diet. Because why? Because you want to burn your own fat, mm. not the fat that you eat. Mm. And, mm. and you don't need to ingest fat to burn fat. Mm. You've got your own fat to burn. You yeah. just need to mobilize it. Yeah, yeah. Because the body has a preference 
to burn sugar ahead of fat and fat ahead of protein. For the first day of the diet, well, let me tell you about the diet. To lose weight rapidly, you need a big gap between intake and expenditure. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I advise my patients, most of them, to have an 800-calorie diet. And Is that quite hard to achieve? I don't know that I've ever... Oh, I'll, I'll, tell, my calories, I'll, I'll, tell, sure. I'll tell you how to achieve it. The problem with dropping to 800 calories is that when we eat food, we not only get calories from food, we also get nutrients. Mm. So you, you eat an orange mm. and you get some sugar, but you also get vitamin C. Yes, yes. You eat red all the, meat. All the micronutrients. Exactly. Yes. Iron. And the yes. list, the list yes. of micronutrients is as long as your arm. Mm. Mm. Now, if you're going to drop to 800, you need to then replace the micronutrients, otherwise your patient will get sick. Mm. So what you need to do is you can do that two ways. Um, the easiest way is to have a product that you buy at the chemist called OptiFast or OptiSlim. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of them on the market now, and they're all more or less formulated the mm. same way. Mm. And, and if you look at the box of these products, you find that all the nutrients are there. Mm. So you, um, you ask the patient to have one of these products for breakfast and a drink, tea and coffee and water, etc., whatever they prefer to drink. As an Italian, I thought everybody drank coffee in the morning, but it's not true. <laughs> Hardly any of my patients have coffee in the That's morning. That's very unnorthern-like, <laughs> <laughs> And... Um, and so whatever they want, as long as there's no sugar in it, mm. they can drink whatever they want. Then they don't have anything else to drink in the morning to or eat in mm. the morning. They can have another cup of coffee midday, mm. mid-morning rather. Mm. And then at lunchtime, they have a second of these uh, VLED products and another drink. Then they don't eat anything in the afternoon. And in the evening, they have a meal with their with their family. Their meal, whatever else the family eats, but their meal fills one dinner plate. Mm. And what do you put on this plate? First of all, you put around 150 gram of protein and you need to weigh it first mm -hmm. and you weigh it before you cook it. And the protein is any type of meat, any type of fish, uh, uh, eggs, mm -hmm. seafood, of course, yeah. eggs and tofu. Okay. And so if, so if you're vegetarian, you could go with the tofu. You can go with the tofu, yes. And if, you, if you're a vegan, you don't eat eggs, then this is a bit hard to do. If, mm. uh, you may need to use an alternative approach mm. if you're a vegan. It's very hard. They come to, and consult with you. Yeah. They come and look you up. Okay. Okay. Now, um, so th then, then, then the 150 gram of protein will fill about a third of a dinner plate. And what do you put on the other two-thirds? Vegetables and salads from a list that I give the patients. Mm, they're complex vegetables. Does that include potatoes and other no, starchy root vegetables? No, they're forbidden. They're out. They're out. Oh. They're more green vegetables. But there's a lot, long yeah, list. Yeah. There's a long list yeah. of non-starchy yeah. vegetables. Right. Cruciferous vegetables. And yeah. then you must, not mm. you may, you must have a tablespoon of olive oil or... Devote. Or eat, eat 
two, four or five olives or have a little piece of cheese. Mm. But whatever you do, that's compulsory if you have a gallbladder. If you don't have a gallbladder, Yes. It doesn't matter. But if you have a gallbladder, you've got to have a bit of fat to empty the gallbladder. Otherwise, you're going to get gallstones. Yes. Okay? Yes. So then you don't eat anything else till you go to bed, and then the next day you do this again. Yes. Now, let me explain to you how this works. On day one of the diet, you have two VLED products and one meal. And by the way, that meal can be din- a lunch if it needs to be. It's transported. It doesn't have to be dinner. Mm. I've described it as dinner, but you can have a lunch. And if you have a lunch, then yeah. for dinner you have your yeah. VLED product. Joe, why, why do you go with the three? Like, I, I, I'm quite happy, and I'll we'll perhaps talk about intermittent fasting if we have time, but I'm quite happy not having meals. I, I don't personally have an issue. I feel great. In fact, I don't feel so good when I eat. No, no, you're very skinny. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I would say to someone, okay, you want to lose weight. I mean, it's a bit of motivation. Maybe you don't have all those three. Well, when I read about this, I thought, well, no, why no, are you giving you, you three can't, times a day? You can't not have the two VLED products because you need the, those to get your micronutrients. You don't get enough from that one meal? You don't feel? Uh, well, no, no, not, not nutrients, no. Okay. Not micronutrients. Not, the, the range is not no. enough. Okay. And this is a method that you found works yes. well with your patients. Yes. So that's, yes. Okay. We had a man in our clinic at the Austin who lost 72 kilos, mm. and he was on a VLED product for a year. Mm. And at the end of that, we measured everything, mm. and everything was normal. Right, he's been, he, he's been published in the MJA right. back in 2008, I think. So, um, so day one of the diet, you, um, you have 800 calories, your body is expecting 2,800, mm. you're 2,000 calories in deficit and you will be very, very hungry. Mm. On day two of the diet, the mm. same thing happens as day one. Mm. You're, support. Yes. you're very, very hungry. But on day three, round about mid 9 a.m., but certainly by midday of day three, mm. Your body has run out of glycogen because you've got to you burn that's glycogen. Just, that's despite the vegetables. So I would have thought the vegetables would be enough. No, they're not enough. They're, the they're low starch. Yeah, okay. So that's a fat. That will still push you into ketosis. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Within mm. three days, you become ketotic and then the hunger disappears. Mm. So, what I want you to do, as well as buying the VLED product, you've got to buy one other thing you have to buy a roast chicken. <laughs> like say, class, bottle of wine. <laughs> no, no. You buy a roast chicken, you put it in the fridge, tell the rest of your family to leave it alone. It's just for you. Yes. And on day one and day two, you can eat as much of that as you want if you're hungry. Right. So I don't care if you have a whole chicken you on can day push, one. You can push the protein. Yes. Mm. I don't care. And fat, because you can eat the skin as well. Okay. Now. Yes. After day three, you'll notice that you're not interested in the extra chicken. So don't have it because if you keep eating extra chicken the whole time, you're not going to lose much weight. Mm. But you won't need it. Anyway, uh, if you do this, you'll find that you'll be comfortable, right? And you will be able to stay on this diet for a long time. Should you find that you, for social reasons, you you cannot um, 
stay away from carbs completely because mm. carbs will disappear. Carbs will clear the ketones within an hour. Mm. If you eat carbs, you'll be pushed out of ketosis and yes, back into it very quickly, and then and then you'll be really hungry. Mm. Mm. And um, or you get really hungry with that too. If you if you clear your ketones, yes, right. okay, oh, absolutely. You know, despite despite having carbohydrates, you know, just suppose you're tempted yes, to have yeah. a pizza. Well, then you've done that. that you know, well, then when you clear course. your ketones, you want another one. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Right. You've got another three days of, you know, yeah. getting back into ketosis. So, so, so if the patient is struggling, you can then introduce medication to help them mm. suppress it and suppress the hunger. And these are all the central acting? Well, these are all brain. They have to right. act on the brain. Yes. And, and we have fentamine. Mm. We yeah. have a yeah. bupropion, naltrexone combination. Mm. Uh, we have um, uh, liraglutide mm. um, available in, in Australia. Mm. And semaglutide mm. has been trialled and is available to treat yeah. diabetes, but is the same yes. molecule yes. as liraglutide. Yeah. So, um, now, so the patient stays on the diet until, and by the way, I need to say something here, you do get patients that don't tolerate the VLEDs, so they just don't like the f taste. Mm. And I've discovered that there's, uh, there are vitamin um, and mineral capsules available in the chemist. Centrum Advance yes. is one of these, yeah. and I've made and I've analysed the the content of these, and they're very similar. Mm. So e they give you a daily allowance. E each of them, uh, compared to say a VLED, mm. there's some slight differences, but not not great. Mm. So you can do this. You can do the diet by having one of these capsules at breakfast time, but then you've got to eat something. Because the thing about a VLED is it fills you up a bit, mm. but a capsule won't. So what can you eat in our society that isn't carb? You can't have cereal. Mm. You can't have toast. You can eat an egg. Protein. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so you have one, and if they're very big, I allow them, I suggest that they have two eggs. That that might be a cheaper option, then. Is, is the OptiFast? It could be a cheaper, cheaper, cheaper option. option. But then don't forget you've got to buy the, the capsules. Mm. Mm. Then for lunch, you have another capsule because you need two a day, not just one. Because right. remember, you're eating a lot less than normal. Scrambled eggs. No, no, not eggs. You have a capsule and then you have a salad. Okay. A smallish salad and 50 gram of protein. There can be another egg or it can be meat or it can be fish or it can be seafood or it can be tofu. Mm. Um, you can make a little lunch and then dinner is the same. Protein shakes, protein powders? Protein powders don't make up the place of the vitamins because they have protein but they don't have... Um, you may need protein powders if you're dealing with a vegan, for example. Mm. Yeah. Now... Once the patient reaches target, you then wean off the OptiFast or the Centrum Advance. Do you have a, a rule of thumb, they're heuristic for target? Is it, is it 15% of, of their body weight if they're no, up to no, MI40? It, it depends on how much they need to lose and how much they want to lose. Right. 
Mm. Uh, this is a decision that largely the patient has to make where they want to be. I, can, I, I tell them that with this diet, they can safely lose as much as they want. I've occasionally have had to talk some patients in not getting too skinny mm. for their age mm. because when you're older, you want to carry a little bit more weight than when you're younger because of the obesity paradox. Um, so the... Um, What's that paradox, John? The paradox is that if you, ta- if, if you take 100 people on dialysis and you ask who's going to be alive in two years, you'll find that the people who will be alive are the heavier ones, not the skinny ones. It was mm. first described in people on dialysis. Then, then it was described in people having surgery. Then it was described in people having heart attacks. Mm. And I talked about this mm. at the Austin scientific meeting that they have every how, year. How overweight are they for that paradox to be? Are we, we going to have to be well, no, no, or Yeah, I mean, that, not, no, not, not super obese. No, We're okay. not talking about super. I'm talking about overweight, he- heavy. Overweight, but not. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even obese. Mm. Uh, but um, so as you get older, if you're going to have an event or surgery, it's better to have a little bit of weight. But mm. when you're younger, you, you should be, mm. you should try to aim. Mm. In all of my uh, young patients, I suggest the BMI of 24 mm, okay. to them. But then yeah. it's their decision. Some, yeah. I've had some that insisted on wanting to be leaner than that, you know, BMI 21, mm. etc. I, I really, really don't want them to be below 20. But, um, you know, when you, see, when you see a lot of people like I do with this problem, you, <laughs> you get a range of... Yes, um, and psychopathology yeah. as well as um, physical yeah. problems. Yeah. 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 Now, the issue with weight loss is, um, is not uh, losing it. Losing it, you can do either with medical therapy like I've just described mm. or mm. with surgery, but um, maintaining it is hard. Mm. And why is, ma- why is it hard to maintain? After you lose weight, when d- soon after they discovered leptin, they found that once someone loses weight, the leptin level drops dramatically mm. to very low levels. Because it's been made by the adipocytes. Yes, yes. The adipocytes mm. can sense there's not enough energy coming in mm. and stop making the hormone that tells you to stop mm. eating. When they discovered ghrelin, the hunger hormone, mm. They found that ghrelin went up mm. after weight loss. And in my lab, we, we discovered that CCK, which is a hormone that makes you feel full, mm. is hardly secreted after weight loss compared mm. to before weight loss. Mm. And then in 2011, we published a paper again in the New England Journal where we found that they all... All of the hormones, and there's one hormone that causes hunger, ghrelin, mm. and nine hormones that take hunger away. Yeah. They come from the gut, the pancreas, and fat. Mm. And nearly, they nearly all change in a direction to make you more hungry. Mm. The only hormone that didn't, that went in the wrong direction, was GIP. And I thought, why did GIP goes up? How does that fit in physiologically? I looked up the literature, and it turns out the GIP activates lipoprotein lipase, so it makes you more effectively store mm. fat. Mm. That's why it goes mm. up after you lose weight. It's a very complex array of 
interactions. Oh, it is. It is. I find when I'm if I'm doing some intermittent fasting and I get I get the hunger pain, which I know I can resist. It'll last twenty minutes or so, maybe less. Mm-hmm. I often get a little bit of peristalsis going on. I can feel my stomach churning. You know, this it's not. You know, I don't well, know if that's the grill I'm making that happen. So I'm not really yeah, sure, but I, I feel this happening. It's yeah. all central. Good grill is working on the brain. I though. feel like I'm getting some motility as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, interesting. And, you know, it's. I don't think I'm the only one who senses that. Yeah. So. To try and stop that regain, which is such a big issue, and so many diets do fail when, well, th- there's a failure when the diet is sort of stopped or eased off that people gain yeah. weight and they're so depressed. So, so the reason why the people regain weight is that um, w- all of these hormones change in a direction to make you yes. more hungry. Yes. And we proved that in, in that New England paper. We measured hunger yes. and found that it went up. Yes. And a year later, it's still up. Yes. The, 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 the hunger is still up mm. and the hormone changes are still there. And then in that study we did with the rate of weight loss mm. that we followed people for three years. At three years, if mm. they were still maintaining weight, mm. leptin was still lower mm. and ghrelin was still higher mm. three years after weight loss. And then mm. in the uh, Biggest Loser competition, yes. they found that leptin was still lower yeah. three, six years after weight loss. Mm. Uh, so, so because these poor individuals are struggling with hunger all the time, and remember, you you you're a lean person. You're not as hungry as someone who's I've got a, a different polymorphism yeah. background. Yeah. If you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're, we're and selecting out a group of people who've got that genetic predisposition. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, and so this is why I, I've often said. If you can maintain ketosis, you know, don't need medication yeah. to lose weight. Yes. However, yeah. to maintain weight, you must have medication. Yeah. And but what's your favourite there? Is it, is it? I've read about you've read a bit about topiramate, which is which is an antidepressant medication. Well, topiramate we have to use off label because it hasn't been mm. approved mm. in the US. It's been approved in combination with fentanyl. Yes. Yeah. With fentanyl. Um, and that's been there since 2012. Mm. They haven't bothered to bring it here to Australia. Would that be your preference if it were no, available? No. no. What would be your preference? Well, uh, for people that don't mind having injections, mm. we have the GLP-1 analog, liraglutide, and coming is semaglutide. Right. Um, which is a, a weekly injectable, so that's even more convenient for patients. It's not from the saliva of a lizard, is it? Is that the one? What comes from the saliva of the lizard is um, exenatite. Exenatite. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know the story there, don't you? No, I don't. Let I me, don't. Tell, you, let I, me I, tell you, in the North American desert, there lives a lizard called the Gila Monster. Okay. But it's not a monster at all. It's only a lizard about a metre long. Right. And the very curious thing about this lizard is that it very it takes intermittent fasting to the extreme. It only eats twice a year. Okay. And in between meals, it atrophies its gut mm-hmm. because you don't keep an organ you don't use, right? Oh, okay, it's fascinating. And then... When it's next time to eat again, it, it, as it's chewing, it releases a cocktail of hormones from its saliva, 
that caused the gut to grow very, very quickly. Mm. And when the American scientists studied the saliva of the Gila monster, they found a bunch of molecules, mm. one of which they labeled exenotide, and they tried it. They put it in a computer sequence mm. and up popped GLP-1. And it's got 50% homology to GLP-1. And, and the correct amino acids, the key amino acids are all there, mm. but the others have all been shifted around through evolution. <clears throat> and when they tried it in people, it worked like GLP-1. And, and hence we've got exenotide or bieta and bidurian. Mm. Mm. Um, Phenomenal. Phenomenal. 50% homology. But mm. the big lesson it gives us is that this molecule, this hormone, as an evolutionary pedigree, as a growth factor, mm. as a growth factor mm. for the gut. And indeed, they've done studies giving GLP-1 analogs to rodents in big doses and found that the gut does mm. enlarge. So, and we know that when they did the trials with high-dose liraglutide, they got a small signal for pancreatitis, mm. and the pancreas is part of the gut system. So I prefer to use these agents at lower doses. And for how long are they? Well, I think at low doses, long-term, long they term. should be okay. Mm. Mm. And it has to be long-term because these hormone changes don't give up. Mm. There have been studies where they, with the FenFen mm. debacle in America, Yes. That after f people were taking them for five years, they had to stop them because they withdrew. With primary hypertension, was it? Valvular disease. Yeah, valvular yeah. disease, mm. that's right. These people all regained the weight. Right. So that that's, tells you that the hormone changes are still there, mm. right? Mm. Well, why would you suddenly gain weight again if you kept it off for five years? Yeah, it's very interesting. Just a brief comment about intermittent fasting, which I'm. Yeah. Intermittent fasting in, is a way of um, eating less. The problem with intermittent fasting, well, first of all, let me say that intermittent fasting suits some people's lifestyles better than others. I think it's the easiest way of not having to count calories. Sure, because sure. Because meals. And, and by all means, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with it. However, it suffers from the same problem as non-intermittent fasting. And it's a bit harder but not impossible to do ketosis with intermittent fasting. Yes. So each time you, when you're eating, if you're having carbs, you're not going to develop ketosis. You need to then avoid carbs. If you avoid carbs and do intermittent fasting, that's fine. Mm. Um, but you've got to make sure that you're having enough to eat to get all your nutrients. Yeah. And really the point of the dieting, as you've explained beautifully, is to push people into that ketosis because that's a, and an inhibitor yeah. of the desire to yeah. and then you're on the path to weight loss yeah. and better health yeah. long term. Um, Joe, thank you. Would you recommend? I really appreciate your discussions. I mean, they've been very, very comprehensive, and like I keep talking with you for a long time, um, <laughs> you've got other uh, chores to attend to. Um, could you recommend this field that you're uh, you've been at the vanguard of this really for obesity management in Australia and research? Could you recommend that to a Young endocrinologist, is that an area that you think has got a great future? And uh, well, yes, this is not a problem that's going to disappear tomorrow, and we do need more people to get interested. 
not just in endocrinologists, but also in general practice, because mm -hmm. the problem is too big just to be handled by uh, yeah. a, a small cohort of yeah. clinicians. Yeah. We need to, um, we need to be able to have the whole general practice uh, mm -hmm. team to, to, um, and train. It's, it's not hard. It's not hard to do this sort of medicine, but, but we need people to be interested yes. and to, um, to learn how to do it and so that more people can be helped. Well, I think, I think Joe, you've explained in the first podcast why we get that. Here we've talked about you know, a very effective strategy to help people, and they have to be motivated to some degree, that, that I think would be extremely um, reproducible in general practice. Yeah. So thank yeah. you very much for, for joining me. Pleasure. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining me in that conversation with Professor Joseph Proietto. I could have continued it for another hour, perhaps over a glass of wine, not enough to uh, put me out of ketogenesis, but certainly enough for us to have just enjoyed ourselves. And it would have been uh, interesting to have explored other interventions such as uh, with perhaps more of a political nature, such as the promotion of walking paths, cycle paths, uh, tax on energy dense foods like the United Kingdom has, and how we may better educate our patients on the benefits of attaining a healthy BMI. Well, perhaps for another podcast. Uh, during this series, we were covering a wide range of topics across many special interests, and the discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and may be emailed to manager at geohealth.com.au.